You're listening to Innovation Radio, where we interview entrepreneurs focused on innovation, technology, and entrepreneurship. Innovation Radio is brought to you by the world's first theme park for entrepreneurs, the Levan Center of Innovation, the only innovation center in the nation to support the founder's journey from birth of an idea through successful exit or global expansion. Now, here's your host, Lee Cantor. All right, Lee Cantor here, another episode of Innovation Radio, and this is going to be a good one. But before we get started, it's important to recognize our sponsor, the Levan Center of Innovation. Without them, we couldn't be sharing these important stories. Today on Innovation Radio, we have David S. Rose, and he is with Gust. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I am so excited to learn what you're up to. Tell us a little bit about Gust. How are you serving folks? So Gust is the global platform for the entrepreneurial finance world. So we've been around for almost 20 years, and we connect all the world's startup companies to all the world's early-stage angel investors. So we are used on the one side by many of the world's largest angel investment groups to handle all their applications for funding. And on the other side, we're uh, used by millions of founders to both create their companies, spin up and incorporate their companies here in the U.S., and then connect them to all of these investors and accelerators who are looking for innovative companies. Now, are there right now a lot of incubators, accelerators, innovation centers? Is this something that you're seeing that's trending upward? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the uh, the whole world of accelerators is a relatively recent development, as recent things go. Uh, they're only maybe 15 or so years old. Um, and you're seeing an increasing number. There are literally many, many hundreds of accelerators around the world. However, they are not all the same. There are a handful of top accelerators that are sort of household names and have developed reputation over, you know, a dozen years. There are another handful of newer accelerators associated with really great organizations that are spinning up rapidly and developing reputations. And then there are a lot of other ones that are people are trying, but they really haven't been as successful and may not provide quite as much value. Now, is it something that is always or typically associated with universities or is some of them just private ventures? Oh, no. They were actually, the original accelerators, the very first of them, was something called Y Combinator, which is still going strong and still toward the top of the heap. And that was just started up as a purely independent program to help founders who had gotten started accelerate their their activities. And then that spurred another a number of other accelerators that were purely independent accelerators. And so after a few years, when the world saw companies coming out of these accelerators that were clearly taking advantage of the contacts and the skills and the training and the mentorship and the peer grouping that they had met at their accelerator, many organizations, both universities and businesses, said, hey, we can really leverage what we have to help startup companies and therefore uh, go ahead and uh, and created their own accelerators. And so because of that, you've seen a number of universities have their own accelerators. You've seen companies, large banks and, and manufacturing companies create accelerators. And so now you've got a pretty wide range from independent standalones to ones affiliated with uh, universities, ones affiliated with major innovation centers like Levan um, and the like. Now, is it something that is skews towards technology firms or are there uh, accelerators and incubators for firms in any industry? 
Yes and yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the answer is they do tend uh, to skew towards uh, to technology because they skew to the kinds of companies that are suitable for outside equity financing from angel investors or, or venture capital funds. And in reality, um, because starting a company is so risky, the only companies that are really viable for that outside equity funding, which is taking a lot of risk earlier on, are companies that can grow very, very rapidly and grow very, very big. And those companies tend to be technology companies because technology lets you scale and start small and grow big and, and, and the like. Uh, and so, therefore, yes, most of these things are technology. However, the, the second yes is technology, which started out just being manufacturing chips and computers and then software and stuff like that, has itself expanded over the last several decades. And so now everything is affected by technology. And what that means is you're now seeing accelerators across across the entire universe of things. There is what is known as as agricultural technology or ag tech or food tech. You have urban tech, prop tech for real estate, fintech for the financial institutions. Um, and for example, the Levan Center has got a accelerator uh, coming up um, called Spaceport, which is all about you know space technology. Um, and so while you can have things like agriculture, it typically, and when you look at these accelerator programs, they typically are technology or scalable business models applied to a particular domain. So what's your backstory? Have you always been involved in these early stage companies? My backstory is I was born to this. I am actually a fifth generation serial entrepreneur myself. Uh, so I grew up um, with the idea of starting companies and entrepreneurial activities as sort of my my uh, my lifeblood. Um, back in the dot com boom in the 1990s, I was a finalist for the uh, ENY Entrepreneur of the Year award. My father won it in 2002. My father is currently 93 years old and is going strong uh, and won the ENY Entrepreneur of the Year in 2002. So that gives you some of the background there. Um, but interestingly, on the other side, um, I am actually a third generation angel investor because my great uncle, after whom I was named, the first David Rose, was actually one of the first angel investors in the mid 20th century. He was the angel investor behind things like uh, the portable kidney dialysis unit vascular stapling, hyperbaric operating chambers, uh, and the like. As a matter of fact, the main street of the Technion Institute of Technology in Israel is David Rose Avenue. So uh, I have a multi-generational history in both starting up companies and in investing in early stage companies. Now, any advice for the person that's just getting started in angel investing? Are there some do's and don'ts? Oh, there are, there are quite a lot about getting started in angel investing. As a matter of fact, I wrote a book about it, <laughs> which has become a New York Times bestseller and is sort of the standard textbook on how to be an angel investor. And it's called, very imagined title, Angel Investing, uh, the Gus Guide to Making Money and Having Fun Investing in Startups. Um, but the answer is just don't do it blindly. Uh, angel groups, groups of angel investors are a wonderful place to get started because it gives you a sort of instant peer group of people who've been there ahead of you. And you can you know, ride along their coattails and watch what they do and leverage their deal flow and pool your resources with them to get started. Um, if you start start investing by yourself without that kind of infrastructure or training or experience, you're almost guaranteed to make a mistake because angel investing, um, A, it's as bad as risky as things get. 
doing it without a background or out an understanding of how the economics work, what the time frames are, what standard terms are, what is else, what else is happening in the industry, you're almost guaranteed to fail if you try and do it on your own just starting. And that's why we always strongly recommend uh, that you work with a either a local group of angel investors or do some reading or find out more about it. And if you're trying to join a group of angel investors in your community, is this something that you just Google angel investor group and then nowadays there's some one in every community or is it something that only in kind of the larger cities? No, well, it started out originally back in the you know the very first angel groups were started in probably the nineteen nine early nineteen nineties, uh, and they grew and grew from then. There today is the Angel Capital Association, which is the national umbrella organization of angel investment groups. And so you could go to angelcapitalassociation.org, pretty long name there, uh, and they have a list of all their member groups, hundreds of groups around the country. Uh, if you want to cast a little wider net, you can go to Gust on Gust G. U-S-T, gust.com, we actually have a directory of, you know, hundreds, of 750 angel groups that you can look for over there, or you can, you know, just sort of Google it. But, um, you know, finding a group that's either on Gust or uh, is a member of the Angel Capital Association is a great place to start because those tend to be vetted groups that have been around for a while and are, are serious players. Other people who you know, call themselves an angel group may or may not actually be an angel group. Now, is the expectation different or the mindset different for an angel investor than, say, somebody that historically has invested in something like real estate or developing or things like that? Oh, yes, indeed. It absolutely is. Uh, my, my other background actually is in real estate, and I'm, I'm these days I'm the uh, CEO of the U.S. real estate market. So I have a lot of experience in real estate as well. And believe me, they are very, very different. Um, er, investing in early stage companies is wildly risky. Um, it takes a very long time. It tends to be binary, which is you either tend to lose your money or you tend to make a lot of money in it. Um, it doesn't pay anything along the way while you're you know waiting for your waiting for the good times to come. Um, and so, you know, that's angel investing. Real estate, on the other hand, you tend to buy a building or invest in a building and it pays, you know, distributes, uh, you know, every year or quarter or whatever. So you may often get distributions depending on what you're investing in along the way. Uh, and typically it'll take, you know, depending on how you're doing it. Um, if you're investing in a, in a fund, for example, uh, you can sell it at any time, more or less. So it's a somewhat liquid. Um, whereas in the case of angel investing, the average holding time for an angel investment in the United States is between nine and 10 years. And from the minute you invest until that exit happens, not only do you not get any additional, any cash out along the way, you can't take your money back or take it out, if, even if you really, really need it, because it's completely illiquid. And very often, you'll be expected to make another follow-on investment because the company didn't quite do what it hoped it would do with your initial investment. So uh, angel investing is really crazy making it can be very risky it can be remarkably rewarding if uh, you do it and you do it right and if you know what you're getting into but no it is unlike any other kind of investing now um this world of entrepreneurship are you seeing a trend towards more people opening their mind to the possibility of themselves as an entrepreneur there was a time you know maybe it was even now a decade or two ago where the thought was when you're a young person you're going to go get a job you know you'll stick with that job for a while but today it seems a lot more chaotic and a person's career takes many uh turns is is entrepreneurship kind of 
the path that more and more people are opening themselves up to? Well, the idea of entrepreneurship is something that has gained extraordinary currency recently. When I was, I mean, I'm, I'm not that old, but when I was in school, there was not one single class, course, club, or activity with the word entrepreneur in it. Whereas today, you can't walk down the street without finding yourself in front of some program or club or group or magazine or something about it. So, what we are seeing uh, is a remarkable societal openness towards being an entrepreneur and starting companies. That being said, the United States is certainly an entrepreneurial society, and that's one of the things that differentiates us from most of the rest of the world. Um, and people have always been starting companies. However, I would caveat that with the fact that not everybody is set out cut out to be an entrepreneur. It has nothing to do with, you know, race, color, creed, age, you know, national origin, anything else. Um, I know entrepreneurs who, I mean, my close friend and mentor and role model, Norman Lear, is now 100 years old and is still starting new things. My father is 93. I've recently invested in a company with a guy named Peter Sprague, who I think is 88. Uh, so there is no age impediment to doing it. Um, I've invested in, in young kids and, and old people. Um, However, it takes a certain kind of mindset. It takes the ability to be able to stomach some risk, to be able to have confidence in yourself, to bullet through, to, to be able to start something when nobody knows, you know, can, nobody can tell you what to do. Uh, and so, you know, in reality, of all the people in the world, it's a sort of a bell curve, right? Some, some people are more entrepreneurial than others. The people who tend to start companies fall in generally into sort of the, the, the top, you know, 5% or so uh, of, of the world or, or one, you know, 5% towards one end of the entrepreneurial world. You know, 1%, you know, 1% or, you know, call it a 20% of the of that 5% are people who are, are natural born entrepreneurs. They were born to do this stuff. And they're the people who will be starting companies as a six-year-old, right? And you, you find them and, I, you know, I'm one of those guys. My father's one of those guys. There are people, you know, like that of, of all kinds and in all countries as well. Uh, the other majority, 80% of people who start companies, however, what I call self-made entrepreneurs. And these are people who are entrepreneurial, but they have experience in their domain and their business area with a particular technology or or marketplace. And they see a need and they 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 take a survey of what they who they know and what they have and what their ideas are. And then they create a company to fill that need um, and they actually you know, can grow really, really big. And so that's the majority of people we see starting companies. But the answer is there is nothing stopping anybody in general if you are otherwise attuned to being an entrepreneur and is that why it's so important to have um things like the levan uh, center of innovation places where you can go and be around other kind of like-minded people uh, other mentors people that can kind of guide you if you have that spark you know, whether it's your own idea, if you're a creator like that, or you're a, a see an opportunity in the niche, but to have an, a place where you can go that can help you create that infrastructure you need to be successful. Absolutely. I mean, the Levant Center, for, for your listeners who haven't been there, I mean, you have to go there. It is literally mind-boggling. I mean, I've been around the entrepreneurial business, as I mentioned, my entire career, and I run this platform that has got more entrepreneurs than anybody else in the world. I have never been to a place like Levant. It is truly mind-boggling. I mean, it's 54,000 square feet. Uh, they, they call themselves, or actually somebody called them, and they've adopted it as their tagline, as an entrepreneur's theme park. And that's exactly what it is. I mean, they have – 
the people, the startups, the mentors. They have the technology to create your own podcast. They have the technology to do, to you know do your pitches to investors. They have pitch nights. They have accelerators. Um, they have uh, they're building a whole three D you know studio for uh, for you know, motion capture. They have they make a robotics lab. They have you know un- it is a truly unbelievable place. And most importantly, what they have are other startups, other entrepreneurs who are starting companies, entrepreneurs who are in their universe, people like me who come down and, and mentor and talk and teach and lecture. They have a, this great accelerator program, um, which has multiple levels. So you know they are big enough and they have enough um, tools and mentors and, and a universe to have not just one accelerator program, but multiple ones, ones for pure startups and with at the idea stage and ideation stage, ones that have just gotten started and are accelerating, um, ones that are later stage and, and need help expanding and growing. Then they've got specialized ones um, for, for the space industry uh, and other things. So, um, it, you know, for any entrepreneur in the area or frankly, even out of the area um, who who is looking for a place for support and inspiration and people to help them on their journey. Uh, the Levant Center you know, of Innovation is a truly mind-boggling place. Now, in your work, is there any uh, story that stands out for you uh, uh, working with an entrepreneur, maybe mentoring an entrepreneur, uh, that you can share that you were maybe help them get over a problem that they might have thought was insurmountable that you were able to add something to based on your experience that helped them get to a new level? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, you know, take, take credit for it, but I, but you know, I mentored and worked with with you know founders for for decades, and I'll give you one interesting example, um, and that's a a, a team that when I was uh, judging the NYU business plan competition up here in New York uh, many many years ago, uh, one of the teams that was presenting in this university affiliated business plan competition um, was a, a techie and a guy who did presentation design for uh, for a law firm, um, and they were. Were both comic collectors, comic book collectors, and they said they thought that there was a business for comic book collectors um, in helping to organize your collection software to organize your library um, and a sort of news feed to find out what was um, new, what new comic books were being released. And by the way, they all bought their bought their comics at the local comic book store, like you saw in the Big Bang Theory. And those guys didn't have any software, so maybe you could do software for the comic book stores that could tie into the software for the comic book collectors. Um, and they were really energetic and they, you know, knowledgeable, clearly. I'm not a comics book guy, but they were. Um, and so, and they had a great plan, a great presentation. So we actually, they actually ended up winning the, the uh, MOU business plan competition. We suggested that they apply for funding to our angel group, New York Angels. So uh, they applied for funding to New York Angels. Uh, I invested in them. We led the round. Uh, the company was called Comixology. And to cut a long story short, a number of years later, they were in position when the iPhone came out uh, to let you read comic books on your iPhone before anybody knew that the iPhone was going to be very big. And so they did deals with Marvel and DC Comics and so on, uh, and they became the way to read comics on your iPhone. And so eventually, when digital books came into play, who's the big player over there? It's Amazon. And Amazon looked at them, and they and these guys, my little teeny company, owned the marketplace for comics. And so they ended up being acquired by Amazon. And today, if you are a comic book reader – you know, you will likely read your comic books on Amazon's comics uh, platform, which is called Comixology, which started out as a couple of guys in a garage at the NYU business plan competition. Amazing story. And another example of you set out to do one thing and you might end up 
doing something else that's tangential, but you have to start somewhere. Yep. We call it pivoting. And I don't know of any company that didn't pivot. Uh, I mean, whether you're talking about Amazon, which started out selling books um, to, uh, and, you know, now becoming the world supermarket, whether you're talking about, um, you know, Uber, which uh, a fund in which I'm a limited partner was the first investor in Uber um, when they were simply dispatch software for uh, local black car services in San Francisco um, you know, before they changed the entire face of transportation. Uh, and so you never know where you're going to end up. But if you're a good entrepreneur, you start trying to solve a problem. And then, as you know, as Sun Tzu said, you know, no battle plan survives first contact with the enemy. And the corollary to that, of course, is no business plan survives first contact to the market. Um, but once you do find out what your you know, MVP is, your minimum viable product, and you see how people and your users are reacting to it, you then pivot and you adjust and you tweak. And that's the entire essence of the lean startup. So there's a book called The Lean Startup Methodology about my friend Eric Reese, which is all about how you start, don't make a giant plan and uh, you know a 15-year product roadmap. Just start doing something. Get it out there into the hands of your clients and customers. See what they like, what they don't like. And on the basis of that feedback, tweak the product and, or build something else or go in a different direction. And that's ultimately how you build something that can sustain a large market. Now, for the startup founders out there, is that your biggest piece of advice? Because taking action and starting, <laughs> you, you can't beat that. that there, that's uh, oh, no. that's the, non-negotiable. If, if, there's one, if there's one piece of non-negotiable advice, it is just start. I mean, literally, uh, you know, there, I, I joke that there are, are, you know, four kinds of entrepreneurs. There are, um, the natural born entrepreneurs I mentioned. There are the self-made entrepreneurs I mentioned. There are survival entrepreneurs who will do whatever they have to do to put food on the table for their kids. Um, but then the fourth group we call, it's really three and a half because we call that fourth group the entrepreneurs. And these are people who talk a very big game about starting up and they read all the books and they name drop, you know, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and so on and so forth. But they never actually start a company and you can't get anywhere unless you start and so the one piece of advice to anybody listening to this podcast is if you think of yourself as a founder if you are thinking about starting something just do it just start don't wait for funding don't wait for something telling you it's okay don't wait for a class don't wait for a sign from above just start and as rough and tough as it is as you get started you'll find something that may not work at all or it may work with a little teeny tweak in which tweak it and then try it again and eventually you will find just enough success that you will have the um the psychological support from yourself to keep going uh and then along the way you want to reach out to people find you know co-founders uh to start a whole company often will take two not a one-person job or three um find out if there is support near you from uh things like the levan center which is in a remarkable place to find peer support and office space and tools and services and all kinds of things for founders um when you're ready but not immediately because you will not get funded by angel immediately find you know local investors through a local angel group but angels will not fund an idea Angel investors only fund a company that has actually started doing something. So start doing something as tough as it takes, as dangerous, as crazy as a leap as it sounds. Just start, and then that's the way you get going. Now, you mentioned fundraising a little bit. It, there was a time, at least in the mythology of this industry and this world, of you know funding off of a napkin, an idea on a napkin. Are those days over? Is it now kind of bootstrap first, have some, you know, sell somebody something? 
before you start fundraising? And is that part of the trends that you're seeing in fundraising moving forward? Yeah, the problem is that was really a mythological day, right? I mean, that was, you know, in, in mythology, something that didn't actually happen. Um, and so it became a cliche because it happened just enough. It happened once or twice, and that became a famous story. And then everybody assumed, oh, I got funded on the back of a napkin. But in the real world, that was never a common way of doing things. I mean, for a little bit of time in the late 1990s during the dot-com boom, you know, the world was crazy enough and there were, you know, potential investors who didn't want to lose out on a good thing. And so they didn't have, they had no idea what they were doing. And so if somebody came to them and said, internet, they would say, ha, ah, here's some money, right? But that was, again, it was few and far between, you know, companies got funded, they should never gotten funded, people lost a lot of money. And then after that, they sobered up. And so certainly for the last 20 years, even, you know, I mean, right now we are going through a particularly tough time in the market. Um, you know, during the global financial crisis, there was a tough time. Between those times, there have been, you know, better times uh, and there likely will be. So uh, but whether it's a good time or a not good time, investors are looking for traction. And, you know, when so they don't look for investors simply don't fund ideas. And so you can spend all day long talking great idea, drawing things, sketches on a napkin, and you will not get funded. Instead, if you go out and do something, get the thing started, and then find out that, hey, you're actually doing something that somebody else finds interesting, that's what investors invest in. And when, when investors say traction, it's really interesting. It's not at all what founders think of as traction. If you ask the founder, what does traction mean? They'll likely say, oh, it's, I, I filed for the name of my company. I incorporated it. I wrote some code. I brought on a, a founding partner. Um, uh, people said nice things about me, you know, all those kinds. I registered the trademark. I got a patent. As far as investors are concerned, none of that is traction, believe it or not. Instead, as far as investors are concerned, traction can be defined as something outside of your control that shows that somebody else is willing to assign real economic value to what you're doing. So the bottom line is, of course, therefore, by that definition, the best traction is sales. And so if you have you know, profitable sales, that's a great thing that investors love to see. And anything less than that is going to be getting farther away from what they hope for as traction. You know, people who are beta customers or pilot customers or whatever. Um, but that's the kind of traction that investors are looking for. So now regarding Gust, what is it that you need? What can we be doing to help you? Well, you can help spread the word because Gust is this great platform for starting a company. If you are one of these founders who is looking to get started, um, <laughs> the best way to get started is actually with a, a platform we have called Gust Launch, which is the way you launch a company. It's I, I, I joke that it's almost an IQ test because if you're starting what you expect to be a high-growth venture-fundable company and you don't start this way, <laughs> you, you've missed such a big bet that it makes me question how smart you are because literally for $300, the $300 for the whole year, you can you press a button and Gust spins up the company for you. Literally, we incorporate you as a Delaware C Corp, which is the kind of thing that investors need to see before they will fund you. We file with the IRS to get your new employer identification number. We foreign qualify you in your home state. We set up your cap table. We issue your shares of stock to your founding team. Um, we do all the basic things that it takes to actually get you started. And then, you know, through other things as you go along. 
we help give you, you know, literally a hundred thousand bucks worth of discounts to all kinds of, of tools and services. We'll help uh, manage your equity and write your option plan and get you a checking account and introduce you to an attorney who will give you free legal work and so on and so forth. Um, and so Gus Launch is a platform that is, is, you know, ideal for founders. And when, you know, when you show this to a first time founder, they'll say, wow, that sounds really interesting. Um, when you show it to any founder who's actually started a business before, what's very funny is they have the exact same reaction. I actually have a frame that I'm <laughs> over my, my desk because they say the exact same literal words. And those are quote unquote, holy shit, where were you when I started my last company? I'll go save a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> End quote. So, uh, the best thing you can do for us is to help get the word out because if you are a founder who is thinking of launching a company that you expect to get funded by angel investors or BCs, you know, run, do not walk to gust.com, G-U-S-T.com. Uh, and you'll find all kinds of both free tools and Gust Launch, which will help start up and incorporate your company. And you'll be also be able to find when you're ready for it, access to investors and apply to accelerator programs and all kinds of things for that because that's what we do. We support these early stage founders. And then on that site, will you also find maybe opportunities to partner with other innovation centers or accelerators? Is it a sure, resource absolutely. like that? You, can, you will search if you search there, you will find the Levant Center. And if you actually apply for uh, uh, the Levant Center spaceport, you'll find yourself on Gus as well because we're powering uh, that accelerator program for them. So, um, absolutely, it's a it's a great place to find the ecosystem uh, and to and to start a company. So one last thing before we wrap, um, how do you feel about the economy? Are you bullish right now? Is this an opportunity for a lot of folks? Because a lot of people, you know, they like to wait and hide until a bell rings that tells them it's time to start again. Uh, how do you feel about this? Well, the interesting thing is, you know, for who, right? Um, there are, you know, all kinds of people involved at all stages. And so if you are a current company in the early stage startup world who raised, you know, a first round of, of cash, say, you know, a couple of years ago at a nice high valuation, expecting that you'd be able to do an even bigger round right now. This is not a good time. <laughs> you will find a lot of trouble raising around. Uh, if you were somebody who hasn't raised around yet and you read stories about those other guys and you have dreams of people investing in your company and giving you millions of dollars at a, you know, $20 million valuation, you're also in for disappointment because that's not going to happen either. But if you are somebody who sees a real need and an entrepreneurial need and you're able to, you know, get your act together and get started and just do something, just get started, even if it's really, you know, you know, small um, and beginning stages and you can bootstrap yourself. Um, without a lot of money, this is a perfect time to start a business because by the time you are ready for an angel investment round or a VC round in, you know, a year, 18 months, two years, when you're ready, that will be the beginning of the next boom cycle and you'll find investors you know, there to fund you because you will have had traction uh, that, that they can see based on what you've done these last couple of years. So this is a great time to start a business. It's not really a great time to get a business funded. Well, David, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing such important work, and we appreciate you. My pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Innovation Radio. This episode of Innovation Radio was brought to you by the world's first theme park for entrepreneurs, the Levan Center of Innovation, the only innovation center in the nation to support the founder's journey from birth of an idea through successful exit or global expansion. 
If you're ready to launch or scale your business, please check out the Levant Center of Innovation by visiting nova.edu forward slash innovation.